We're coming to the end of our series on uh, material possessions and money. Uh, and one of my high schoolers mentioned to me, you know, there might be some people in the congregation that don't know what eyes off the bling means. <laughs> For those of you who don't know bling, the word bling is sort of like a new slang word to talk about your money. Like, uh, I think it maybe comes from like the, the rappers who used to have all the, the gold hanging off their necklace. It's like the bling-bling kind of thing. So um, that's what that means. And we're, our whole point in this series has been to get your eyes off of your bling, off of your, your things, your stuff, your material possessions, and onto eternal realities. One common theme I've been trying to hammer home this whole time is like the guy in the video... This stuff is not difficult to understand. <laughs> it's just straightforward once you understand what Jesus is saying, when you, can, when you can interpret the text. It's not difficult to understand. I mean, just look how he speaks, right? We're in, in Luke 12. You can turn there. To the rich guy, right? He said, you are a fool because you miss basically the obvious point that there is more to this life than just your belongings. There's more to it. You ought to be rich towards God. And then the disciples were rebuked because they were divided in their minds as to whether their financial situation was going to turn out good or bad. And so he says, you men of little faith, what are you doing? Don't you know all the reasons that, are, that tell you that you don't have to worry? Such as, there is more to life than food and clothes. You're more important to God than grass and birds. Think about that. Worrying doesn't accomplish anything at all for you. Besides, it's hypocritical for a Christian to worry about your money. Why? Because you have a Father who provides all your needs. It's not like you have an idol that if you do enough good works to please, they will give you that will that idol will give you what you need to survive. But this is a, a father, and not just a father, but a loving father, who's promised you that if you seek his kingdom, all these things are going to be added to you. Not only that, he has already chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. So we know that it's really not difficult. It's simple logic. Uh, in the words of one commercial that I was hearing down in California quite a bit, I think it was about a credit report thing you could get for free. He said, it's the biggest no-brainer in the history of mankind. This stuff that Jesus is teaching is no-brainer once you understand. And I think that you're going to see that with today's message, it's no different. Look with me in verse 33. And 34, it says, Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the conclusion to everything he's said so far. He said, Don't you start seeking after and being greedy for things. And then he said, don't worry to the disciples. And now here's the application. Here's what I want you to do. Exactly what I want you to do. 
And I said that there's, there's nothing complicated about this. But there is a phrase in here that sort of rubs us Americans the wrong way. In fact, this actually made it into one of the hard sayings of the Bible. It's a book. Pastor Dave probably knows about it. That There's a number of these that have been written, but this one, it categorizes all the difficult things that Jesus said to people. And this is one that showed up in there because it was a difficult thing to answer. Not because it was like intellectually hard to figure out what he was saying, but it's because it's just like, that means a lot. That implies a lot. I almost uh, actually subtitled this thing, Seven Words to Stub Your Toe On. <laughs> because it's such a strong message. What I want to do is I just want to pray because... This is a pretty huge issue that I feel like I'm touching on today. Lord, I pray that you would do spiritual heart surgery today. I'm not asking just that these people would understand what this text is saying. But I'm asking you for a miracle. I'm asking you to do in us, what this text is saying. That you would tweak our hearts to follow you in this exact way, in this area of our life. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The phrase that everybody hangs up on is this one. Sell what you have and give alms. It's, not a, it's, it's a simple the simple passage, right? Literally means the things being yours, your possessions, what belongs to you. It's plural. You're supposed to sell the plural belongings that you have. And you're supposed to give alms. Now, give alms is a term that is basically it means to give something to somebody out of compassion for their hardship that they're going through. That compassion is involved. It's part of the word itself. And it's something that you give. A lot of most of the times in the Old Testament or in the New Testament in the Greek, it, it was given to people who were poor, like the guy who was lame and he was begging from the the, the uh, Paul and uh, Peter. I mean, and uh, he was begging for alms, and he said, "Money and I don't have any silver or gold to give you, but what I have, here you go. Stand up and walk." Uh, it's talking about money that's given. Now, it doesn't say exactly, right? It doesn't say specifically if you're supposed to sell the stuff and then give those proceeds to this good cause of compassion. But I think just the fact that it's so jammed together right there in that statement, they're, right, they're so close together, plus you look at what actually he required of his disciples, right? If anyone wishes to come after me, he's going to have to deny himself daily and follow me. He told the rich young ruler, sell as much as you have and follow me. He, when his disciples, his first, the first apostles came, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, it says that they left their nets and their father and they followed Jesus. It's not a complicated passage, but there's something hard for us to chew on here. We know that these verses are there. 
We've heard them before maybe, maybe ten times. But we have some objections to why we don't have to obey these commands. These are reasons why we don't, we don't think that we have to. We will, we will uh, we'll give some money, right? We can, we, can, we can go and make a buck or give a part of our paycheck, right? But when it comes to actually selling something that you already have for the sole purpose of giving the money to, to some compassion ministry or some uh, ministry-related item, does that happen? Not very frequently. That's not something that we think is normal. We have big problems with that. In fact, I'd say that we have about three kinds of objections to this, to this statement. I think that we have sinful objections. I think that we have theological or what I call doctrinal objections. And we have just like uneducated objections. Like we just don't understand the, the whole reality. And so we're like opposed to this whole idea of giving our stuff, our, our stuff away. So what I want to do is I want to spend a good portion of our day dealing with this because I don't think that we're, that we're going to get very far in our passage if you guys don't get this. If we don't get past this verse right here. So first of all, uh, sinful objections. Now, I'm not going to be. I'm not going to be kind here. <laughs> I say it out of compassion, but I'm just. I'm not going to waste time. I'm going to get right to the point. Okay. Some of you just love your stuff, so you're not going to give anything away. You love your stuff. This is nothing new, right? This we're going over stuff that we talked about two weeks ago. You're not going to give them away. Because they make you happy. You just like having them. So you like to see your real estate grow. And you like to see your uh, flat screen TV and your power tools. And your nice car. Your books. And the entertainment that these, all these things can bring. It pleases you. I mean, they do. Those things naturally do that. If you were stranded on a desert island, what would you want? You would want your iPod. I mean, your iPhone. You would want your internet service, and then you would want your latte, right? You like things. You just like things. It's cool to have them. It's fun. Yeah, you've thought about heaven and God on occasion, but the, really, you're way more interested in thinking about what you're going to do after the service. going to go down to Chihuahuas and have a meal. We're going to play video games this afternoon. We're going to, last week, I think it was, going to go watch the football game. Take the boat out on the water. Can I just challenge you with a few things real quick? Be careful. Watch out. This was the message that we heard a couple weeks ago. Because the sin of loving your possessions is very subtle. It's, the Bible says that it's actually deceitful. When Jesus was talking about the parable of the soils, he, he described wealth as deceitful that comes up and it chokes out the plant that grew from the seed so it doesn't produce any fruit. You guys might be being choked right now because of your focus and your love for your money and your, and your possessions. You should do something about it, and i tell you why. 
1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10 describes what can happen to a person who loves money. It says, But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You need to do something about this. You can't just let this keep going in your life. And I suggest you consider what this passage has to say to you today. Don't believe the lie. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says that he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. Don't believe it. That's the first objection we might have. Another one is that you only care about yourself. You only care about yourself and no one else. You realize that there are people that have needs around you, but that's their problem, not mine. Why should you do anything to help them? God put them in that situation on purpose. Besides, you earned this money. And you deserve to spend it. You might hear of a special need even in the congregation, like, such as the benevolent fund that we have once a month when we remember to do it at the, the communion. But there's no way you're going to give to that thing because you've got to pay for that flat screen TV that's coming up. Or the kitchen set. Or that vacation. You've got bigger, more important things to do. Like spend it on yourself. I would have you keep in mind that the rich man of Luke 15 through 21. He was called a fool partly because he wasn't concerned about anyone else but himself. He didn't care about God. He didn't care about other people. It was all about me and my retirement. It's all he cared about. He didn't even give a thought to God. Not only that, but 1 John 3:16 and 17 indicates that you are being a hypocrite when you don't show compassion to those in need. It says, We know love by this, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? And in the book of 1 John, the love of God abiding in a person was an evidence of your salvation. He's saying that you are acting like a total unbeliever when you don't have the love of God and you don't show compassion when you see your brother in need and yet you have some funds that you could help him out with. Proverbs 21.13 says, He who shuts his ear to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be answered. Are you sure that that's how you want to set yourself up? A third thing that you could do sinfully, a third objection, is that you could be so worried about your own 
situation you can't even think about giving. I mean, yeah, things are tight, man. I'd like to give, but you know what? I'm just, I'm not sure that I can because, you know, I might lose my house. I don't mean to be respectful, but maybe you just need to step back a week and look at the verses that we looked at last week. Pull yourself together, man. You're a child of God for crying out loud. You're an heir to the kingdom. You think he's just going to let you starve? He doesn't even let birds starve. You think he's going to have you go around naked because you don't have enough to buy your next pair of shoes? (laughs) He closes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow it's burned in the fire because it's dead. He's not just some idol that you have to bow down to and he, and he can't do anything to help you. He's your Father who's got a thousand more resources than you even know about. He's your Dad. Let me challenge you with something. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 8. One of the reasons Paul wrote the letter to the Corinthians was to talk about this gift that they had been preparing to put together. And he, to encourage them, he wanted to say, hey, let me give you somebody to think about. Think about these, uh, the Macedonians. Now, those dudes can give. And he said this, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you, in verse 1, the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Then in a great... Trial of affliction. They weren't going through a good time. The abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. They were so free with their money. Oh, take it, Paul. Yet they were in deep poverty and great affliction. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, And beyond their ability, they were freely willing. Let me ask you something. Is this just something that happened to the early church? This was like the super church and nobody, we're not supposed to be like them or it's it's impossible because there's sinners in our church? (laughs) No. (laughs) These guys gave beyond their ability. Now, what do you think that means? They didn't have enough money to take care of their needs. But they gave it anyways. They gave beyond their ability. I would have you keep in mind that Jesus, when He said this back in Luke 12, that He was talking to His disciples who had left everything and followed Him. They weren't very rich either. You guys can do the same thing. So, there's the sinful objections that you might have. Now, I'm hoping that you can just cast those off because you realize the foolishness of them. 
The next one is a little bit more reasonable, okay? A little bit more hard to discern. You've got to do a little bit more thinking to get and, and answer these questions. I call these theological objections or doctrinal objective, objections. These are objections based on a, a conflict between two principles in Scripture, okay? For example, we know Jesus says in Matthew 5, in Matthew 5.42, that you are to give to everyone who asks of you. Okay? Now, we know that, that, that he said that, but we have a problem with that. Because we also know that some of the people who are asking money from us, are, we know that they're spending it on evil things. Okay? There are colleges that are total pagan colleges that are trying to get us to give them money. Okay? There are people... Uh, I'm not going to generalize in major categories, but I'm going to tell you about one guy that I saw. There, there is a guy, at least one probably, that you could see that he, he was smoking. His, his, his mustache was just yellow with the smoke from his cigarettes. Drug marks on his arm, holding up a sign, I need more beer. You can, anything helps. Okay, he's just told me everything I need to know about what he's going to do with that money, right? So we have this conflict. Give to everyone who asks of you, and then you got this guy or this organization that is opposed to the gospel, and they're asking for money. Should I give to them? Well, we want to be literal interpreters of the Bible. We want to believe what Jesus said, so what do we do? We end up not giving at all, right? We have this conflict in our mind. I don't know what... I mean, yeah, it says this, but then what do we do about this? And so there's just a question mark over that passage. And so what that does is it renders that passage useless. You're never going to live by that passage because you're always going to have this question in your mind, exactly what am I supposed to do? He said this, but I also know this from Scripture. God wouldn't have us spend money that we know is going to further sinful uh, habits or sinful purposes... Well, I think there's a couple of these, a few of these, that are related to this verse too. Verse 33. Sell what you have and give alms. You might say, I know what it says. I know it says, sell what you have and give alms. But is owning houses or land or other possessions like a car, is that really a sin? Is Jesus saying that you should sell everything? I mean, that's a, I guess that's a legitimate concern, right? Because there were some people in the Bible who actually had stuff. They supported Jesus' ministry. And to give you an answer, I would say, yeah, that's, it's okay. It is true that you do have the right to sell or to keep something. Acts 5.4, he was talking to Ananias and Sapphira. He said, Ananias, was it not in your control to do with your house what you wanted? And then after you sold it, was it not still in your control? In other words, he's saying you had the right to, to keep it or to sell it. But there's something that you guys, you all, need to realize. And this is a, a very profound statement that is not my own. I have been doing some research and uh, found this book. It's a gold mine right here. It's called The Treasure Principle. And it comes from this book. It's by Randy Alcorn. And here it is. Here's the point. 
You are not the owner of anything. Yes, you have the right to sell it or to keep it, but you are not the owner of it. God is. And that makes you the manager. Listen to these verses. Psalm 24.1, we heard it this morning. The, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Listen to Haggai 2.8. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Listen to Deuteronomy 8.18. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who is giving you power to make wealth that he may confirm his covenant which he swore to your fathers. Listen to 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. He said, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. You guys get this? The Bible is saying that even though you have things, you have a car, you have a house, it's not yours. It's not yours. I can't tell you how amazed I was this week about that concept. Because God, I'm telling you, God enlightened this truth in me this week. I was going up to Georgia. Georgia, do you realize that this cell phone is not mine? It's not mine. I used to think it was like I, I, I owned it because I paid, you know, whatever for it. But it's, it's not really mine. And, and you know, this, uh, this wallet I have that has about two bucks in it, <laughs> this is not mine. And a, and a credit card and a debit card and other things. But it's not mine. And this computer, which I paid a thousand bucks for at one time, this... It's not mine. It's God's. In a reality, it is God's. God gave it to me. Everything belongs to Him. Everything in your life belongs to Him. Even you belong to Him. The activities you do during the day, those belong to Him. Can you imagine what kind of implications this has for your life? First of all, if you lose something, is it a big problem? Who gave it to you in the first place? Do you think he has more of them somewhere? How hard is it to turn your financial picture around? Somebody gave $50,000 to the church. Where did we we didn't expect that? God has resources all over the place. Millions of dollars going to the drug industry. Marijuana. You don't think He could just shuffle the cards a little bit and send it our way, like in a heartbeat? The same dollar bill that went for a pound of weed could go for 20 Bibles? God has resources all over the place, and it's all His. It's all His. Even you are His. Secondly, if it's yours, I mean, if it's God's and it's not yours, and you are His manager, what does that tell you about how you're supposed to use your money? Well, you should probably consider what He has to say about it. 
you should probably at least try to do what He wants you to do with it rather than just going on your own. Hey, this is great. Look at this blessing I had this week. I had a, a bonus at Christmas. I can buy some really cool stuff with this. Well, have you thought about maybe what God might want you to do with that? It is His money after all. You are the manager. Are you going to be a good steward or a bad steward? He's going to come and hold you accountable. So let's just take this example of, say, a house. The Bible has a lot to say about houses in the New Testament. You could sell it. You could sell it like the, like the early, the early um, church in Acts 2.45 or, or chapter 4 as well. They were selling their things and they didn't claim that they had anything was their own. But the, all things were in common. They were just sharing it. They were selling it. They would, they would sell the house. They would come and lay it at the apostles' feet and the apostles would distribute it accordingly as they saw the need You could do that with it. Or you could hang on to it. Just remember that it's not yours. Okay, It's not yours. God has something to say about what you do with your money. That you, that you get from that. or uh, Something to say about the house itself. Will you use it to raise a godly family? 1 Timothy 3 talks about that. How an elder must manage his own household well. And uh, whoever does not provide for his own, especially for those of his household. Now, I know that that's talking more about the people of the house. But that's the, whole, the point is still there that it's a unit of people that you're taking care of. Will you open it up for prayer meetings like in Acts 12.12? 12? Mar- uh, Mary, which was the mother of John, they were meeting and uh, they were gathered together and were praying in her house. Will you open it up for Bible studies or training seminars? Like in Acts 20, verse 20, Paul was talking about to the other elders. He said, How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house. I'm just giving you an idea of how houses were used for the kingdom's sake and what the, in the New Testament. Will you use your uh, if um, will you open it up maybe for a church meeting in the future? We could do a church plant maybe. That'd be cool. In the future, there's a whole bunch of verses that talk about that. Colossians four fifteen, Acts two two, verse forty six, eight three, Romans six six. 16.5, 1 Corinthians 16.9, Philippians 2, all talk about churches meeting in houses. Will you use your house to, uh, for missionaries that come by and want to stay? Jerry and Penny Ward have taken us up on this, taken up this idea already. Just like in Acts 16.15, when this lady had gotten saved, she and her household... She urged us, the missionaries, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Will you use it to entertain strangers? Hebrews 13.2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For, this, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. 
And then Matthew 25.35 talks about how when you help the least of these, you've helped me. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. In our society, something to drink would probably come from your house, possibly. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Could you use your house for entertaining strangers, visitors that come to our church? They don't even know what to do. They look around and see the lights and the, the paint and the... But they don't know. Where's the Sunday school class? Where's the stairs? Let me tell you something. Why don't you just come over? You want to come over to my house today? I'd like to take you and, and offer you a meal. Would you like to do that? See what happens. <laughs> and how about this? Will you take regular care of it so that it will be ready for any of these ministry opportunities? That's a pretty big job right there, right? 1 Timothy 5.14 was primarily directed at the ladies of the congregation. I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, give the enemy no occasion for reproach. But guys, there's things that on your house that need to be done too that probably could be, you could probably help in this area. Maybe it's, maybe it's not like sweeping the floors, but maybe finishing the front of your construction of your house to, to make it acceptable to the public. The point is, is that you have the right to sell, your, to sell your belongings or to keep your belongings. But if you keep them, you've got to keep in mind that God has something to say about how they're used. The second theological objection you might have is, I know it says, sell what you have and give alms, but if I give all my, all my savings away, I won't be meeting my own future needs. Like if a disaster happens, I might become a burden to the church and cause a worse problem. That's possible. But first of all, I just remind you in light of Luke 31 that says, but seek His kingdom and these things will be added to you. I seriously doubt that you're going to be able to outgive God. <laughs> the more you seek His kingdom and do things for His kingdom, including giving things to His kingdom, giving your money away to His kingdom, He's going to keep giving you and adding to you all those things that you really need. you got no problems there. Second of all, I do think it's a wise thing to have some sort of savings. I mean, it would be a good stewardship decision, yeah, to have something set aside. I've, taught, I've uh, gone online with this one... Uh, Financial, um, financial advisor type thing that's from a biblical perspective. It's it's uh, uh, called sound mind investing, and um, they give you some some things to think about about your financial picture. And they said, you know, the, f- the first thing you need to do is just get yourself an emergency fund for disasters or things that happen. And really, all they suggest is that you, you only really need about six months of your living expenses. So if you lose your job or something happens, you can kind of find a way around that and you have some bumper space to work with. That's about all you need. But some people, like, it's hard to... They haven't thought through that. And so they just have some 
indefinite number out there. Well, I don't know, 70, 50,000, 70, 200,000? I don't know. It'll, I just want to make sure I have enough, right? <laughs> but the problem is, is that because you haven't sat down and said, this is all I'm going to need, you have a hard time giving to anything because you're always concerned, well, this could happen and it's never going to end. Your thinking is always going to go that direction. You'll always be hindered because you don't know if what you are saving is enough. And so you just need to, you need to sit down and think about that and decide, do you really need $50,000 in emergency saving fund? Is that six months of your expenses? And if it is, what are you eating? <laughs> are you going to Black Angus every night? <laughs> or, or is the stuff spent... Is the money spent on other things that you don't even need just to take care of your, your, your other house or to take care of your boat that's not doing anything most of the year? You know what I mean? Here's the issue. As a manager, you get to set your own compensation plan. God just gives you this sum of money and you get to tally it out and say, okay, this is how much I'm going to use. But keep in mind that that's not just a free-for-all. Whatever I get and i and I'm, I got no direction at all, I can just say whatever I want and I can write it. It's not just a blank check. God wants you to consider His purposes when you do this. And I'll have you know that He will reward you based on how you run your, your finances. That's going to be part of it. And He cares about that. Did you spend it all on yourself? Or did you consider His kingdom priorities as well? Now, third opposition might be that I know it says to sell what you have and give alms, but I've heard so many stories about people getting my money or getting money and then spending it on sinful things inappropriately. Am I not being a bad steward by giving like this? How am I supposed to know if it's going to be used for God's kingdom? So I should just keep it and try and do some service myself so that I know that I'm using it for God's purposes. Well, you could think that. Well, the good thing about this is that the ends are needless. (laughs) And so you have a wide range of variety that you could choose from. A lot of ministries that you could choose from. You're never going to be hindered by... All that I could give to is this one little ministry, and I don't think it's doing what's right, so I'm not going to give to it, and you're stuck. That'll never happen to you. Because there's so much variety in, in the world today of, of things that you could do for God's kingdom. The church is actually a good one to give to. And I don't say that because I'm here or because Pastor Dave's sitting right over there and he's my boss and he paid me 20 bucks to say this. <laughs> but you could give it to your church. After all, they have been helping you spiritually, have they not? I mean, you're still here sitting in the pew. Romans 15.27 says, For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, that is, the spiritual things of the Jews, salvation came to the Jews first, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. Talk about giving them money. 1 Corinthians 9.11 says, If we sowed spiritual things in you, 
Is it too much if we reap material things from you? In other words, if we helped you out spiritually, is it that big of a deal for you to help us out financially? It's a biblical principle. In chapter 9, verse 14, So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. God, Jesus, directed those who speak the gospel to get their living from the gospel, to get the money that they need to survive from their preaching. That's the first thing. Is there's, there's limitless things, and you could give it to the church. But here's another thing to keep in mind. You are not ultimately responsible once that money leaves your hand. You're not ultimately responsible. It's between them and God. Now, don't give to something if all the indications are telling you that this thing is a messed up situation. But if you do give it and you're concerned about it, realize that, listen, it's not your, it's not your deal after it leaves your hand. It is now between them and God as to how they will spend it. You have done your part. You have made treasure in heaven because you were faithful with your finances to do your best to be compassionate in a situation that looked like it probably needed some help. But yeah, there's always possibility that they could sin and do something wrong with your money. But I just, I just think about, we were on our trip to ABWE. And I think it was, uh, we were driving down to Seattle to uh, get on the airplane. And Jeff Hodgen was with us. And when we pull into a rest area, and we, we were getting back in the car, this, 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 this uh, high schooler, it looked like, came up and said, Hey, man, i, I got to get to this play. The girlfriend's in the car, and we're just about out of gaff. But we need to make sure we get there. Now, I've heard people come to me and say that before when I was at rest areas. I've made a lot of trips to and from uh, Mexico. And so I was like, okay, what's, what's he going to do? <laughs> I'm just glad he did, the guy didn't ask me. Because <laughs> I don't know what I would have said at that moment. Uh, and so he said, here you go. Here's 20 bucks. And so I asked Jeff, what, so what, what goes on in your mind? How do you like think through that whole issue? And he said, it's simple. I'm just trusting that he's telling the truth and what he does with it is God's response. It's, it's between him and the Lord. And that's really what we're talking about. Now, that's... Those are the theological objections you might have. There's some uneducated objections that you might have. Like you just don't understand the whole scheme of things. And we sort of uh, are coming to a close here. But let me just run through it quickly. Look at the verse 33 and 34. You read the passage. See, sell what you have and give alms. Provide money... Uh, provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there is your heart will be also. You read through that and you're like, huh? What in the world is he talking about here? Money bags? What's a money bag or money belt in some translations? What do you mean treasure in heaven? I thought we were going to be strumming harps on clouds and stuff. Are we really, is it actually an actual place? Uh, 
What about, what about moth? I, I understand the whole concept of thieves stealing, but a moth destroying? What is that? And then the treasure that is in, uh, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Is that saying that if you put money over here, that your heart is going to be over here? Like if your heart is in the world, that it won't go to heaven? Or is it physically or emotionally? Or what in the world is that all about? It's just weird, you know? Well, let me just take a minute just to explain it really quick. Jesus is saying that if you sell your possessions and give alms, you are at the same time providing yourselves money bags which do not grow old. He's saying that you are actually transferring your possessions to heaven. And those things are going to be there when you get there. When you put that money in the offering plate for God's purposes, you're not giving it away. You're sending it on ahead of you to heaven. And there you will re-collect it. You understand that? It's incredible. And the cool thing about it is that there's no bad news about heaven. The economy is always going up. It's a real place. The, the Bible talks about there being land and kings and a street and houses and people and plants, a book, at least a couple books. It's, it's a real place. In fact, the Bible calls it a new earth. No. It's not just some ethereal, like, what in the world? I can't even picture what, the he- what heaven is like. Do you know that you will have a real body? A real body? It's not going to be exactly like it, is, like it is now, but it's going to be similar. It's going to be way improved. That's the cool thing about it. When you send that on ahead to heaven by, by giving it away to, to things that are on God's heart, you are, you are transferring, you're, you're allo- reallocating your assets, you might say, to something that's going to last for eternity. And that's a good investment, by the way. Anything that you keep for yourself, as soon as you die, it's gone. But if you send it on ahead, it's going to be there for eternity. Now, I've got to tell you, this, this blew my mind this week. Seriously. Like I said, I was running around the house looking for things. I kid you not. I have a, ba- a box that I laid on the... On the, on the uh, the, the table, the dining room table, and it's got a whole bunch of stuff in there, items like old knives and uh, things that I used to value, like uh, uh, little pliers and multi-tools and things like that, a camera and a, a tape player and just a whole bunch of things that I was like hesitant to give away. But you got to understand that with this new truth, I could. This stuff is sitting in my home, but I can actually invest that in eternity and have that income when I get there. That is cool. That is cool. And it's not just giving, by the way, not just giving to uh, needy people. Okay? You could give it to ministries. Anything that is kingdom-minded, anything that is concerned about eternity in heaven. Uh, in chapter 16 of Luke, it talks about using your wealth of the world, unrighteous wealth it's called, to gain friends 
who will actually welcome you into their houses which are in heaven. Is that cool or what? You think it's cool to go and visit somebody's house today? Wait till you're in heaven and there's, there's no messes in the house and, and, and nobody's worried about what their house looks like because it's a perfect world. Everybody's happy. There's no sin. There's no worry. It's awesome. The point is that you get a heavenly mindset. That's what this whole passage has been talking about. And you live according to it. But my question for you is, are you going to do it? The passage says, sell the things belonging to you and give alms. Are you going to let this thing continue on in your life, never being answered? Are you just going to let it slide and never come to a conclusion? Never, never decide to give because you're never sure? Sell your things. Go home. Pick something off your shelf just to start out, just to get you started. Pick something off your shelf that has some little bit of value, maybe five, ten bucks. You get on, get, set up an eBay account and you sell that thing with the purpose of taking the money and giving it to a ministry. Maybe give it to the church or give it to somebody in the church that you know has a need. Just do it and to see how it works. Do the same thing with Craigslist. Bradley, you got some goats. Sell a goat and give the, the whole proceeds to God. Seriously. You are storing yourself a retirement fund in heaven that is awesome. It will not fade away. Moth and rust doesn't destroy there. Thieves don't break in and steal there. You will have it forever. I'd just like to read from you a quick testimony from Randy. He had a ministry. He was a pastor of a large church, making a good salary and earning book royalties. He'd been a pastor for 13 years since the church began, and he didn't want to do anything else. But in his life, he came to the conclusion that he needed to do something about the abortion that was happening in the world. And so he joined some peaceful protests outside of like clinics to, to rescue moms and babies that were going in there for abortion. Well, the abortion clinic actually sued him, a group of people actually, and, and it turned out that he was not able to make any more than minimum wage. In fact, I think still today, he's not able to make more than minimum wage wherever he works because if he does they will garnish his wages and put that towards the abortion clinic. They have this lawsuit set up. It was, a 20, it was initially set for a 10-year period, and they got it extended another 10 years. Could you imagine that? Any extra dollar you made over 40 hours and minimum wage was going to support an abortion clinic because of this lawsuit. It was the biggest lawsuit that was ever filed against a peaceful protest, at $8.4 million. This time, it seemed like we would lose our house. By all appearances, and certainly by the world's standards, our lives had taken a devastating turn. Right? Wrong. It was one of the best things that ever happened to us. 
what others intended for evil, God intended for good. We began a new ministry in which they're working now and produce this book. Everything under heaven belongs to me, Job 41.11 says. He had another experience with a stereo, a portable stereo. He loaned it to the youth group. <laughs> and it got destroyed. <laughs> and he was a bit upset about that. But he came to the conclusion when the Lord convicted him that it wasn't my stereo. It was his. And it had been used to help reach young people. Who was I to complain about what was God's? Then he had some books. God was teaching him again. He had a whole bunch of books, thousands of, of books. They meant a lot to him. But it troubled him when they would, he would loan them out and they would come out looking shabby, all worn out. Then he sensed God's leading to give them over as well to begin a church library. And then all of a sudden, the more worn, the better. Because he knew that they were being used for the kingdom of God. And it was this principle that he came to the conclusion. God owns everything. I'm his money manager. And then he lists those verses that we looked at. That's the heart that can happen to you if you get that concept in your mind. God owns everything. and He wants you to do with your finances, with your possessions to please Him. Let's pray. Lord, I... I'm just so grateful for what you've done in my heart. I hope that it's not just a, a whim. Um, I pray that it's a, it's a long-term thing and that I could cultivate this new teaching. It's not that it's new, it's that you revealed it to me. And I pray that you would do the same for everyone else here. It's such a joy, God, to, to realize that. It takes away so much pressure. And uh, I pray that you would do that work in our midst because I think it can help us grow spiritually. It can, it can speed us up. pray this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen.